Search go so Here. good. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna hate me. Uh, I, well, when I told you about, it, I was like, Ian does not want to do this, but I'm gonna make him do it. No, no, that's not it. That's not it. Uh, I I love the idea. Like I totally do. Like when you were like this, and I was like, that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. And then as the like, I was like, cool. I got a few days. And then all of a sudden, it was Friday, mm-hmm. and I was like, uh oh. Oh shit. I haven't looked at anything and then it was saturday mm-hmm. and i was like uh-oh i gotta do a few things and then i'll i'll watch some something i'll do something i'll read something i don't even know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna do something right and, and then and then and then you didn't you son of a bitch i got tired and i fell asleep yeah. <laughs> so i like always i have a bunch of notes and so we'll just start like we usually do where I'll, I'll just do a factoid of like here's some crazy history yeah because the history of dice we don't think about it but we've used them forever and we've used them for all kinds of stuff oh yeah right? I, I did I actually did look at kind of a timeline history of dice mm-hmm. was it a little like picture thing yeah it's some pictures and some dates yeah I, f- I found that same one yeah and I was like huh that's pretty cool um, was that on the uh awesomedice.com site bro it absolutely is dude i am seriously trying to not buy these dragons modern dice that they have in their store i want them so bad really yeah they're like fucking look at these things oh nice yeah 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 um so should we talk about some dice yeah man let's talk about dice all right well welcome everybody welcome uh adventurers npcs Ogres, players, maybe? players. GMs aren't allowed though. GMs, you're fired. Get out. Don't want to see you. You disgust me. Not really. Don't leave. Please stay. That's the only people who listen to this podcast are GMs. But uh, today we decided to talk about the history of dice. Mm. Uh, I picked this topic because I've been listening to a bunch of books about the history of D and D, and certain certain things get you thinking a little bit. You're like, huh? How? What? What is this thing that called? Dice, Dice. That has Ooh. been around for so long. They called them bones at one point, right? They were bones. Yeah. So in Egypt, they played with, and I'll, I'll go through a fast factoid, but they played with actual knuckle bones. They weren't knuckle bones, but they were like small bones from sheep and cattle and things like that. Right. They, you could roll them. They would land on four, one of four sides. And I actually, uh, have you seen those new D4s where they're curved on certain sides? No. Oh, wait, maybe. They look like they're six-sided, but two of the sides are curved, so it only lands on four. Yeah. I think they're designed to kind of act like old-school, like ancient knuckle bones, because if you look at the shape of them, there's a weird similarity. Don't know if that's true, but I was like, hey, that's cool. That's cool. So, here's the stuff that dice, like the activities that dice have been used for. So, cast divinations. Right. So, like, even casting lots, like in the Bible a type of like dice throw oh it's more like uh, even the I Ching, right it's like rolling a d2 you get you get a one or you get a two right lots a lot of times were these flat things but they usually they had two sides basically right right yeah uh gambling gambling seems like such a big one well that came uh, i mean it's been around forever but especially like rome and greece they mm. made all these laws because people started loading dice and cheating playing games 
And then, of course, you know, cheating at those games. <laughs> and finally, RPGs and, like, war games. Um, so we've used them for so long. It's it's just crazy. And we're, we're coming at this from a D&D perspective. So for you non-D&D players, here's some basic terminology. So when we say things, you're not like, what the fuck are they saying? What are they saying? So in D&D and most tabletop RPGs, we have a certain format that we talk about the dice. So first we say the number. So let's say we're rolling one 20-sided die, right? You're going to say D, and then you're going to say whatever the amount of sides is on the die. So if it's a six-sided die, you would say six. If it's a 20-sided die, you would say 20. And then uh, whatever polyhedron you're using. Give us an example. I'm going to roll 20 D20s. 20 20-sided dice. Oof. Yeah, big roller. It's a big roll right there. Um, there's a number of what we think of sta- as standard dice now. So it's uh, you've got uh, four-sided dice, D4, six-sided dice, D6, uh, eight-sided dice, D8, ten-sided dice, D10, 12-sided dice, D12, 12. and then a, a D100, which is kind of a hybrid dice. It's not really most of the time how most players use it. It's two D10s, and we'll, we can talk about that in a bit. And the D20. And the D20. That's right. Fun fact, apparently the language around dice is changing, and the Oxford Dictionary, Ian's favorite website in the world, Uh. they now say that it's more popular to use the word dice for plural and singular. So die is actually falling out of favor, I guess. Yeah. Or usage. Which is interesting because I keep finding myself doing that by accident. Like... I'm gonna roll this. Uh, I'm gonna roll this dice, and I'm rolling one d6 or something. You know. So I'm like, that's cool. I'll use that. That's kind of funny you say that because here we go. Ian loves critical roll. Here's here comes Ian bringing up critical roll again. Spam him with critical roll stuff. Send him a bunch. I do. I love it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just love. I love the uh, that it's entertainment. Like I, I like the what they do. It's fun. I hey, probably hey, would not what? do well at that table. You're not allowed to uh, enjoy it. What? You're not you're not allowed. Well, that's cool. I'm still going to. Uh, anyway, during one of the final, they have a guest, and it's Joe Mangia. Manganello. Yeah, and he uses old verbiage, and it's he's like, yeah, it's a one die six, oh. or it's a four die eight. Four die eight. Yeah, instead of saying D, he says die. He says die, and uh, so like when every time he rolls, it's a four die six, and one of them goes. Why do you keep saying that? And he goes, I'm old school. That's how we've been saying it since like the 80s. So I just, that's how I say it. That's funny. Uh, I really love his like weird personality in D&D. Oh, he's great, man. But back to the die. And this is a spoiler. So plug your ears if you don't want to know. Because he guest stars in like a big chunk of campaign one, I believe. Like towards the end. Uh, it's not really. It's it's like a two episodes, two sessions. Is it, oh, because he steals, I think, the hand of Vecna. Yeah. Like, he fucking doesn't tell anybody. He's like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm evil. I got to take I gotta take this. Bye. <laughs> well, I can tell you if you want me to tell you how exactly sure, it goes I've down. heard him talk about it, but it's been, like, two years. It's spo- So, big spoiler. You kind of heard a spoiler. This is even bigger. Yeah. So, they defeat Vecna. Right. And then he, as they're all looking at the body of Vecna... He chops off his oh. hand, sticks the hand on there, and goes, later, everybody, and just disappears. And then it outside of game, he literally p- 
picks his stuff up from the table, stands up and walks off screen. That's fucking hardcore, dude. Right. It was when I saw it happen, I was like, holy shit. That's huge. That's a hardcore D&D player right there. Like, I'm off table now, guys. Bye. Like, see ya. But back to that, he, he's real old school. So, like, he has a lot of, like, Kai Gax right. in him. Like, he's a big old schooler. So he says that old tr- verbiage, yeah. It's interesting. So that means that at some point they were saying the full word, and then they're like, let's just cut it down. Just just do the initial. Yeah. It's not really much longer to say, but it feels, it sounds awkward, at least to my ears, just because I'm not used to it, you know? Mine too. Four die six. What? Yeah, what? You're saying it wrong. It's backwards. No, it's not. What are you doing? Uh, really quick, there was a really great video. by. It's really funny. It's like six minutes or 720 Moon Rat Media, and it's the history of dice. And it's entertaining and oh, hilarious nice. and very clever. And so I use this as a, a big source. I don't know tons about, like, just non-D&D history. And so I was like, okay, well, what about this? What about that? So that was really highly recommended. It's from, like, 2014. It was still great. Oh, cool. Um, so I'm just going to go through through some of this, the factoid stuff, the non-D&D-related stuff, um, pretty quick. So earliest recorded use of dice, which was D4s, goes all the way back to 3100 BCE, before Common Era, with the royal game of Ur, which was played in Samaria. I have no idea how it was played, but I know there's a video of like some stodgy historian like teaching some YouTuber how to play. So if I can find that, I'll link to it. Crazy. There's some other uh, notables. So there's a game called Sinet from Egypt, where they use dice... The earliest dice and evidence they found uh, came somewhere from e- Egypt or Mesopotamia, like that kind of area of the world. Right. I saw that same thing. Uh, the earliest set was found in uh, Basur Hoyuk, which I'm probably totally murdering that. Somewhere in uh, Iraq, I think. Oh, crazy. But again, from like the Sumerian time period, roughly. Yeah. And the Egyptians also played a game called Astragali, which used knuckle bones that we talked about. Oh, yeah. The, that's such a cool, you know, the idea of the evolution of that. So that's cool. Right. Well, you think about even like this is, seems totally random unless you're a big music fan, but like Rush's. Uh, roll the bones, bro. Roll the bones. Yeah, that's what it is. Dude. Or consult the bones, you know, like, right. I mean, we've used dice for a long time, which is kind of overwhelming. Yeah, it's roll the dice, man. Roll the dice. Take the chance. And this is just a little note, we already talked about it, but knuckle bones land on four sides, which is similar to these new D4s that are coming out. Right. There was an article, I guess, making the rounds that the earliest dice were uh, associated with backgammon. They even mention it in Lost. Apparently that is highly disputed. Mm-hmm. I'm not a historian, so I'm not going to comment. But right. some people claim the first set of dice were found in an archaeological site called the Burnt City. But backgammon is like 5,000 years old. It's really old. I'd love to learn how to play it because I have no idea how you play it. It was always around. I'm like, this looks boring when I was little. Like, this is stupid. I read about that Burnt City thing, and that's highly disputed. Yeah, highly disputed. Like, very controversial. So Highly disputed. Apparently, it's been debunked a bunch, and then the article will come back up and... Right. You know, the doing the internet thing. During the Greek civilization, you had, like, Sophocles and Herodotus making erroneous claims about where dice were invented. Well, that's crazy. I didn't know they had anything to do with dice. 
Well, the Greeks were kind of obsessed with geometry and numbers. And, oh, okay. And we're, we're going to get into the Platonic solids because that's actually why I wanted right. to talk about, talk about this. But they were pervasive th- during Greek and Roman times. Especially the Romans fucking loved gambling. They'd gamble on anything. Huh. And they started making all these laws against using dice. They had dice guilds and like gamer groups. Not necessarily for RPGs, but dice was a big part of the culture apparently, which I didn't know. Right. Well, the gamer, the fact that you say gamer like that, mm-hmm. uh, my mom works in telecommunications and she does a lot of phone installations for casinos mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, she was saying something about one of her clients. She's like, blah, 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 gaming. And I like looked over at her and she goes, gambling, yeah. not that. And I was like, oh, because that's it's a word they use right. for gambling is gaming. Right. And I don't want to talk about this yet, but it really brings up the point that Gaming in this way has to do with fortune and chance. Whether it's D&D or gambling or divining, there's this element of the unknown, which is really cool. Um, And then uh, circa 1860s, Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers show up and they start doing a bunch of board games. The ones we all know, Monopoly Live. 1860s? That's when they started. Fucking Christ! Yeah, because they were a big competitor for, like, uh, TSR in the 1970s because they'd been around for 100 years, 100-plus years. So they were very well established. Wow. I think Hasbro came around sometime not too far. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. But I think Hasbro's been around for quite a long time. Huh. So, yeah, board games really became a big thing. And then we start to get into D&D time. And we have to jump back a little bit because... There's the whole war gaming side of it. Um, war games mainly used D6s, right? Mm. That's really all we had for a long time. Um, the first miniature war games came out of Prussia, and then after the Franco-Prussian War in the um, what was it, 1800s, it just spread throughout the world, apparently. So Prussia wins, they beat France, oh. and then their method of conducting war and strategy just spreads like wildfire, apparently. Um. That reminds me of something. I have like had this itch in the back of my mind due to you mm-hmm. and listening to historical stuff, oh. specifically the history, you know which one I'm talking about, hardcore history, mm-hmm. and learning about some historical events because you do GMing so well, and I know that there's a part of that that stems from you actually knowing historical stuff. For sure. And seeing cause and effect on a yeah. bigger scale and I'm like I need to do that man hardcore history if you want just I mean if I didn't care about history right. but I like hardcore history is like Dan Carlin is the internet's history teacher in my opinion like right. he doesn't talk about everything he talks about what he's interested in but like you know the um, oh, what's the the wars between Rome and, and Carthage for instance I fucking love that area right. era. it's so insane that's when Hannibal takes the elephants across the Alps and like oh. threatens all the Celtic tribes. He's like, you fucking better help me or I'm going to murder all of you. Like, it's so savage and crazy, dude. That's, well, the, the whole reason I'm even saying this is because you say, talk about the Prussian War. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was interesting for me. I'm like, oh, wow. Wars change things. That whole time, because all of that leads directly to World War One. That's a crazy thing. Yeah. So there's all this political stuff, but you should. And I, uh, yeah, I, I can give you some digs. And then 1950s and 70s in America, I don't know about the rest of the world, but like wargaming just fucking, it was the thing. It was the D&D of the time. And you had Avalon Hill was like 
the company. Right. There were some others, but Avalon Hill was the big one. And Avalon Hill and TSR were big competitors, rivals for like 20 years. They hated each other. Oh, damn. Hated each other. It's crazy. It's Gygax's fault. But anyways, they primarily used D6s, but apparently naval war games would use D20s. And D20s weren't D20s. They had 0 through 9 written on them twice, so you'd roll them as percentile dice. Oh, okay. And then early editions of D&D primarily used D6s. And then AD&D first edition was the first time like the books recommended using the full set. Oh. And that's because Gary Gygax saw there was a company called Creative Publications which made really shitty D20s. Like you can look up pictures you're like wow that's a shitty D20. <laughs> but they were the only company in America so they would use them and then they started using some company in Japan. Um, but the polyhedrals were originally designed like the set we used to teach kids about the platonic solids. So they were an education tool and then uh, Gygax and a few others in TSR saw them and they're like hey we want the D20s because that's a weird die. So we're going to keep that and then we'll donate the rest. And they're like, wait, that's a big waste. Why don't we find ways to use the other dice? Oh. So if you notice, like D4s, D8s, D10s are mainly damage dice. Mm-hmm. D12s are usually hit point dice for like barbarians. D6s are a special case because they have a way longer tradition. I don't know if you mentioned it and I missed it, but historically there's one other sh- dice that I think it was from... Japan, it was a 14-sided dice, historically. Uh, I don't know about historically. You you sound like you know more than me, but there are a bunch of non-standard yeah. dice that they use now. There's like a, a D22. Oh, weird. And we also use all the time, like you could do a D2, which is a coin flip, mm-hmm. right? If you took a D4, cut it in half, divide it by two, or D3, uh, divide a D6 by two. I have a D3. Do you? Nice. Do you have an actual physical one? Uh-huh. Nice. There's also, like, uh, D5s, I guess, if you go onto the fandom side about the history of, of D&D. Yeah. And that's basically all the, like, factuals mm. right there. That's I mean, there's a lot more details. I don't think most people are as fascinated by it as I am, so we won't get into the nitty-gritty. But what about the platonic solids, though? So platonic solids, the thing that I started getting fascinated by was the fact that there's only five platonic solids. There's six standard dice. The D10 is not a platonic solid. Oh, really? You can call it a pentagonal trapezohedron or a deltahedron. And basically it's a multi-sided pyramid. So it's like a five five or more sides, but it's it's geometrically considered a pyramid. And if you actually look at the way the triangles are shaped on a D10, they have this weird on the bottom side. A little. If you're looking at it as the apex facing up it has this weird shape to it and that's how they get them all to fit together that is weird where polyhedrons platonic solids each it's always a the same shape replicated and all the edges touch okay right right so i don't know a lot about the geometry it definitely inspires me to learn more about geometry which again i feel like D is this gateway into learning about the world like ooh, how does statistics work how does geometry work like i want to know more about how these dice function right but basically the platonic solids were all they all corresponded to a traditional element right so the d4 the tetrahedron corresponded to fire the icosahedron uh, which is the d20 corresponded to water the octahedron corresponded to air the hexahedron d6 corresponded to 
Earth, and the cube has traditionally always been associated with Earth. Uh That's always been its thing. Uh, And then the dodecahedron uh, was aether or spirit. And so it's interesting because especially in like, this is D&D adjacent, but especially in like, um, say, Magic the Gathering, you always have like the five elements. And so to the Greeks, uh, numbers weren't just these cold things. They all have personalities. So for me, it's interesting to think about like, be kind of cool to have like a version of D and D where like if you cast fireball you roll a bunch of D fours. Yeah. Because that's the the tetrahedron is associated with fire, right? Right, right. Or if you're making emotional rolls, you roll the D twenty. You know, you think about how the D twenty is a swingy dice, mm-hmm. and emotional emotions you can think of as like very swingy yeah. as well. So uh, I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. And I I wanted to just kind of break that down and talk about it a little more. I wonder if anyone's ever, I'm sure they have made custom dice that are specific to the platonic solids and the elements that they're associated with. Usually nowadays, because of our kind of scientific way of looking at the world, we usually downplay geometry being associated to mysticism. Mm-hmm. And anytime you start talking about the el- the traditional elements and humors, that's the other thing is too, the traditional humors are associated with elements right so like you have like uh sanguine is associated with fire is associated with a d4 but uh it would be cool if somebody did where if they like kind of themed them in that way yeah it'd be super cool right there was one oh yeah here we go so the non-standard dice that we can that we have now you have a d22 a d24 a D30, which would be fun to have. That's weird. 34, 48, 50, 60, and 120. And this is an assumption, but I think they started using the Euclidean solids, which were non, like all the sides didn't have to be even, hmm. basically. I could be wrong about that because, again, my knowledge of geometry is very low. Um, but the little research I did, it seems like that's what it was was like platonic solids is everything's even and symmetrical Mm -hmm. and then you get outside of that and you can do you know asymmetrical type of shapes and things like that and if you look at some of the euclidean solids they are fucking weird looking are they oh yeah they're real weird looking so even though it's kind of weird when you're talking about D &D, I really like the idea of like well what if you personified the dice? Like, what personalities do they have? Like, right. how do they act? Because the D20 definitely has a personality. And if you play D&D, you know sometimes the dice, they ain't giving you an inch. No. Like, our player Jerry, yesterday, he could not successfully roll to save his life. It was crazy. Dude, it was insane. It was all sevens. It was, like, so low, man. Sevens and eights. Sevens and eights. Yeah, so... We've used dice forever. We, we've used them as this cultural artifact, basically. Right. Which I thought was super, super interesting. That was most of my research that I got through. Um, i trying to think if there were any other details. Oh, the guy who patented the D10, uh, he patented it in 1981. His name was Clifford E. Polite. Nice. <laughs> Clifford Polite, thank you. Clifford Polite, that was very polite of you. Thank, thank you. you, we appreciate it. Oh yeah, I was going to show you these too. I think these are D20s. 
somebody on Etsy, and I'll post this in the... Uh, the dribbly-doos? The doobly-doo. Oh, I've seen those, dude. I want them. The cylinder? Yeah. Yeah, those are crazy, man. Yeah, there's. I've seen a few... Uh, I wouldn't really roll those. I would just keep those as just like, oh, they're cool. Seems like they'd roll for a while. And like it's like those, like, I've seen them on, like, there's the bard dice, and there's mm-hmm. the necromancer dice and there's all of these sets that you can get and they're very weird shaped some of them right and i look at them i'm like i don't want to roll that but i do want that set because it's really cool i mean that's a big thing now is like collecting dice just as a as an aesthetic object there's some man like i've seen people that are selling just a d20 handcrafted out of something and Lots of love and tenderness put into this one D twenty. It's like one hundred and eighty dollars. I've been seeing some YouTube reviews like this is a two hundred dollar D twenty. Is it worth it? Like made out of some crazy material. Like not if you don't have a lot of money. Right. If you're broke, then no. But if you have <laughs> money, then I mean, why not? Who cares if you're going to be spending it? That's cool. Yeah. But it's interesting how these dice now kind of symbolize all the fun we have in D and D. So the set. When you see it, like when I see like the the polyhedral dice, it's like ooh, fun. Right. It's time to have fun. Oh yeah. It's time for adventure. I have my six sided set that I use for blades right here, mm-hmm. and then I've got my black obsidian, like black on black obsidian set on this little stand right here for when we play. Nice. And I get my rolling tray next week. A yeah, Ian's. Uh, was it your girlfriend that bought it? Yeah. Or did you buy it? She gave me a gift certificate to Wormwood. Okay. So I covered the rest of it. Ian's getting a Wormwood dice. Is it a tower or a tray? No, just a tray, a rolling tray. If you don't know what Wormwood is, you should check it out because they're like the nicest, most handcrafted dice towers and trays you'll ever see, and they're They're fucking expensive. I think that they're probably the most uh, widely accepted as like top quality trays. If you go on like Etsy, there are people that are much, you know, they're one person crafting something, so they're more expensive and you it's can gonna get be more expensive. wild yeah. with those people. Yeah. yeah. Dice and dice trade, let's we'll call it dice culture. It's right. a whole cottage industry now where you can like buy gemstone dice and you'll get a little warning like, oh, don't roll these on hard surfaces right. or they might crack. And it's like, holy shit, why, what, what am I paying for here? There's so many dice makers out there now, and there's so many really cool ones. The world of dice, like you just said, is huge. Yeah, and of course it you know, it comes back to... It's tied to the resurgence of D&D, and I think also just our generation and the, the younger generation, like, everybody knows pretty much what D&D now, is now, where before it was this obscure thing, but... It's just part of the culture at this point. I think oh, we yeah. can safely say. I think so. I mean, especially with, you know, one of the we keep we bring it up every once in a while, but even just season one of Stranger Things where they kind of talk about D and D and you see them roll a little bit and mm-hmm. they they make references to their friend group as the party and mm-hmm. you know, and with that becoming so big, I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes to like what is this D&D thing like I had another conversation recently with somebody that we both know mm-hmm. I'm not going to say who they are and they've listened to the podcast mm-hmm. and I was saying something and I don't remember exactly what I said but they were like wait it's not a video game and I go what? Oh I've had people say that to me too and I go she, they go well I thought it oh, was oh you said she I thought it's a video game that you guys play and I said 
I'm not real great at communication. I go, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> what do you mean a video game? We ro- <laughs> You've listened to the podcast. What are you right. talking about? Right. And then they're like, well, I don't know what it is. And I was like, it's a, it's a shared creative endeavor that we're creating a story and we use dice in our imaginations to have fun with it. And they're like, so wait, there's not like, how do you play? I'm like... I feel like what you're asking me is we talk through things. Yes, we say words and create what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we might have a map with some stuff. Right. But no, we're not playing a video game. It's funny because my housemates who are older, right. they thought the same thing. Even when I've like been that, like no, it's not a video game, they would still be like, "Oh, it's a video game" because they see us they see me on the computer right. doing computery stuff. So there's a core. They they think there's this correlation. Oh, they're on a computer, so it's it's a video game, obviously. But really, it's it's you're making you're you're doing group shared storytelling via conversation. Yeah. And the dice are there to mediate the randomness. So it's to cut out that old cowboys and Indians problem that we all ran into as kids, where you're like, bam, bam, I shot you. You're dead. No, I'm not. No. Nope. Yeah, you are. Nope. Didn't happen. You missed me. So you you make the dice kind of the arbiter of what happens. Whether like okay, I swing my sword, but you don't know if the sword's gonna hit. So you roll a number to kind of interpret the successes and failures, you know. But that is very hard to conceptualize. It is. Like if you don't have any, if you didn't grow up with it, or you don't understand it. But it's really like reading a book, but it's a book you're creating. Right, and you're part of it. Like you are choosing things. Part of what's happening is you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when people start to get a little bit of a hint of what that is, they're like, oh. That's different than I thought. Is it fun? Yes. Yes. It is fun. Why do you think I spend so much time doing yeah. it? <laughs> if it wasn't fun, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I hear it all the time from people. Uh, oh, man, I wish I want to play D&D. And my, my thought is always, so why don't you? Oh, I just don't have time. Well, if you don't make time... You will never have time. Right. So make time for the things you want to do. I mean, it sounds brutal, but like, you know, just like people who want to go to the gym all the time, they find a way to make that happen. Right. It's the same thing with us. We find ways to be able to do this how we want to. That's how it goes. I mean, it's the brutal truth of being an adult, which is you have to decide what your priorities are. Right. Like what is, what's important enough that you're going to spend your time and attention on because your time and attention is an extremely precious resource resource at this point resource can't speak all of a sudden but it's a it's a precious resource is very finite so you only got so much of that and i think a lot of people i think especially a lot of our extended friend circle their their attention bandwidth is just maxed out a lot of the time well, they might not. They might have the time, but they're just like, they have too much other stuff taking up the mental space. Right. You know, and I mean that's valid. But the thing is, if you play RPGs and you have a good table, you have a good game group, you realize that this helps clear up space. Like you feel better. You don't feel overwhelmed. Like oh, now I have to do all this stuff. You're like oh yeah, that was a good. That's what I was waiting for the whole week. You know. Oh yeah. The. When, when you hit a really good session in D&D, it really does. It pulls you out of your life for a few hours to live in this other world and have fun with a bunch of people, joking, 
telling a story that you're part of yeah. and it's it's fun it's so much fun i hope uh everyone's having fun for me it's it's like the best one of those really good movies like you saw in the theater and you, it was amazing or a book you read that was amazing but it's times a hundred because you're in the world yeah like in your head you're sharing this hallucination with the other players and the dm and you like ian said you're creating as you go along yeah it's happening in the moment it's not just a, a movie playing on a track and it's not even a video game that might be open world but there are boundaries no you can as a player you can shatter all the boundaries the the dm has set up yeah you might die and you might piss people off. <laughs> yeah, but you have a lot. You have a lot of agency. At least ideally, every table's different. But ideally, the players have agency to just wreck the china shop. Yeah, you know that's where it's fun. Yeah, I, I love the uh, getting a story and being feeling like you're able to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I want to go like Eric's saying. I don't want to break everything. Some I want to play my character in a world that's like ready for me to break basically for me i mean we played a session last night and as a gm i just am over the moon when the the world and all the planning i put in it's not that things go according to plan but suddenly the world comes alive yeah like there's all these npcs and the characters are interacting with them and they're making choices that feel like there are stakes and the world suddenly starts to breathe and whether the players go into left field or they follow the track or they do something I could never predict, um, it's an absolute joy. It is. And just like we say, I'm not going to even talk about it, but once we finish this campaign or we take a break from it, we'll we'll chat with you all about it. And we're doing the Sunless Citadel, but I've heavily homebrewed it. Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> heavily gonzified it. So it's it's got kind of a old school D&D feel in terms of just like you know instead of instead of like a typical ogre or something you'd find in the dungeon there are giant ants yeah. that are vicious and just fuck the party up hardcore oh yeah we've almost lost a few people fighting these things yeah so it's, a, it's you know Sunless Citadel is not fun to read through but it's sure fun to play through so yeah. props to uh, I think was it Seb Cook I don't remember you know what I'm going to look it up. I think that uh, there's also uh, something to be said. I think a lot of the really popular adventures, probably like reading through them is kind of boring. But when you actually get them on the table, you're like fixing the little piece. You're like, ah, this doesn't work here at my table. I'm going to do this with that part. Right. I think that a lot of those adventures are really cool. Like they have a lot to them. Like, right. uh, This is going to sound strange, but do you know which one I that's like a new one that I'm like kind of like thirsting for for some reason. Mm. Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. That one does seem fun. Yeah, and there's some weird like mechanics in it that make it a little bit different. Right, Uh, yeah. Not that I'm saying like we're going to run that next or anything, but like that one's been in my brain. I'm like, now that it's been out for a little while, I'm like, hmm. Right, yeah. I think all the, it'd be fun to ideally to just play some version of all the campaigns yeah. that's probably not gonna ever happen but it'd be fun all right it'd be a lot um bruce bruce cordell is the author of sunless citadel the original 3.5 mm. edition or maybe it's even third edition this was the i have the original copy of when it came out which is weird it's like oh i have an original thing 
but it was the first adventure for third edition, I believe, that came out. Oh, okay. So not even 3.5. The big learning experience for like reading through this dungeon and running it is like, you don't really know if the adventure is good until you actually put it into play. Yeah. Like maybe I'll be able to tell like as I run more published stuff just by reading through it like oh this is going to be good but i like i read through it, i'm like this is dumb like why why was this created this is stupid but then playing through it the, it works great yeah the way the dungeon is designed totally threatens the players and like keeps them on their toes and it's awesome yeah it's crazy and that, that's how i feel like because i'm going to be running a salt marsh campaign soon mm-hmm. uh and that's reading through salt marsh now that i've like read it a bit mm-hmm. i'm like okay, I actually think this will be fun. I think there's a lot of stuff here to play with for the players that is interesting. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that. And I'm obviously, like Eric has done with Sunless Citadel, I'm homebrewing a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. that's just kind of... It's going to be salt marsh, but just slapping it around a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, if you like GMing, the big thing with it is the creativity. Yeah. You have creative license. D&D seems like one of those rare places where like, hey plagiarize steal take whatever you need mix it up and then recycle it you know and even on that note going back a tiny bit to our subject here uh dice use you know different things for different stuff if you want to like if you see something that's like oh this is a 4d6 roll for the damage oh give them 3d4 if they want right or something like because on average you'll probably roll higher with 3d4 for an average Mm -hmm. but your peak rolls will be higher with a 3d6 right so it's i think there's a lot of fun you can have with messing around with different dice rolls or using dice from different systems within your game just to take that little sample of oh i like what they did with this right i'm gonna take those and use it here and certain dice are really fun to roll like blades in the dark oh yeah which is another system like you're rolling big pools of dice which is like multiple dice so like a big pool of d6s like having those in your hand yeah it's super fun and you know what that is the other thing i was gonna say that i want to talk about is i'm interested in how different uh because really like if we talk about rules mechanics it's really usually built around a single t- die type mm-hmm. and how you interpret the roles so like D is d20 Blades in the Dark is D6. Cthulhu is percentile, which is 2D10. Yeah. And you, you interpret one as the ones and one as the tens column, so you can get uh, 1 to 100. It's interesting to see how that affects the gameplay and how it affects your psychology. Like, playing Blades in the Dark is not at all like playing D&D. Oh, yeah, not at all. You're in a totally different frame of mind, and it's not just the die rolling, but I think it's fascinating to see how that's affected by just changing the die type. Right. And, um, you know, as I've studied the history of just the tabletop industry, there's all, been all these phases where, like, after D&D kind of fell out of fashion in the 80s, everybody and uh, D10s came out. Like, everybody went to, like, 2D10 systems. So all the, like, people trying to innovate mechanics. And then there was, like, diceless role-playing. And then in the 90s, you went back to like D6 pools with the world of darkness. And so mm. if you look at this hit, the history of tabletop RPGs, like all these companies have done super creative stuff with their mechanic system. And I just think that's, for me, it's fascinating because I want to figure out how that works. Yeah. You know, and a lot of these game designers, they're really creative people um, trying to express that creativity through game mechanics. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I like it. I like it. 
But dice are cool. Dice are Sorry, cool. Sorry, what were you saying? No, I, dice. Dice, I, man. I have a problem. No dice. When I, I start looking at them and I want to just buy them, all of yeah. them. And I, every time I'm about to hit buy now, I'm like, Ian. You don't need this. You have sets. Like, go, yeah. if you're really feeling that itch, go buy a new Chessex set. Like, just go get one. 12 bucks. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. 40, $45 for dice. Don't do that. Woo! Hoot nanny. Um, I mean, if you're a D, if you play RPGs, you're probably a collector. That's that's the other yeah. thing is like, hey, I could uh, uh, I, with Ian. I mean, if you're buying forty five dollar dice, doesn't really count. But hey, I don't have to spend forty dollars on a book. I'll just buy twelve dollar dice. Right. You know, so it's a way to keep collecting. But there's a lot of cool dice. I uh, recently started using D and D Beyond more, and I bought myself a set. It was like six sets of virtual dice. Which set did that you are get? really cool. Um. I don't know. Let's look it up. Cause I, I don't remember the name of it because they're super colorful and it was from I, some actual play. I know which ones you're talking about. Yeah. And it gave you like six or seven sets for the price of basically one. One, yeah. I was like, I'll buy that. I didn't know. I didn't realize that when you subscribe, you get a monthly set of dice, which was really cool. So I, I didn't know I had the clockwork dice. Oh, nice. Yeah. I almost bought the Vecna dice. Oh, that would be sweet. I still don't know the layout of the... The new the D and D Beyond D and D Beyond. Well, the other, the other thing that's really cool about D and D Beyond that we can utilize too is you can roll from your phone. Oh yeah, I but I I was testing that out. I'm like, this is what I wanted from Roll Twenty right. app. What the? I'm so mad and so relieved at the same time. So angry. So much money spent on Roll Twenty and <laughs> right. it's just fucking bullshit. Uh, Battle for the Beyond. Yeah, dice pack. nice. That's cool. I'm using the. Layla, they're like the purple, nice, the purple dice. Have you experimented at all on the backside of D and D Beyond as the GM yet? Not really. I've just been buying like I bought the core books, and I'm gonna try building some homebrew stuff, mm. and you know, building more characters just to see how the website works. Right. I really like the front, like the UI is great. So the way the character sheets look, and you can retheme them. It's definitely the Apple of like D and D sites, which right. it oh. should be because it's now officially owned by Watsy. Yeah, you know? it's super cool. Cody runs his table from D and D Beyond, uh-huh. and uh, so like you can build encounters in there. You can build your whole campaign world. Yeah, in there, and so it's, it's like, all just like boop right there, and you can just click. Like you can have almost like your DM screen. Like you can see all of your players' AC, mm-hmm. what their hit points are at, what statuses they should have. That's cool. So we could even do like have the foundry table, but then have like a the campaign world in D and D Beyond and right. jump back and forth. I'm look. I'm seeing this new video on the front page of D and D Beyond called "The Fiend of Hollow Mine." Yeah. And I'm seeing Mercer's face, and also uh, who's the new player for Campaign Three? You're talking about Robbie. Robbie. I really like Robbie. Yeah, there's a that's a new actual play that just dropped just the other day. Nice. Who's DMing for that? I uh, it's I think it's a girl. I don't know what her name is. Uh, oh, I see her on there. It's I see four faces. The other two I don't recognize. But yeah, it's uh, that literally just dropped just like the other day. I think they. Nice. Re- I want to say they recorded it, maybe during Brennan. Okay. Why that was going? Right. I don't know though for sure. Okay. Because there's another thing where. Some of the some of those people are also in another single like kind of one shot campaign. One thing. shot, nice. But Robbie's great. He's 
Yeah, he's he's uh, he's such a good addition. Yeah, like, he's not. He, he fits right in. He's not in it anymore. Oh, he's not. No, he's he's not in campaign three. No. What? He, I thought he was going to be permanent. No, he's not permanent. He. Uh, oh, that's a bu- that's a bummer. They should have kept him. You're probably like. Uh, an episode, or you're you're probably a few episodes away from when he uh, when he leaves his character. Well, leaves. that's a bummer. Yeah. I hope he comes back. Uh, he's, he's he was a good addition. He's still like the like we've seen. Like he still has good rapport with them. He's everything's fine. His character, like the story, was just over. Right. So he's he's like roll twenty adjacent. And mm. I guess it took a long time for um, the the one girl. I don't remember her name. Abria. No, the player. Uh, Laura. Is it Ashley? Who's playing Fern? Fern is Ashley. Yeah, Ashley, because she was kind of in it, mm-hmm. and she kind of come in and out. So, but it took her a long time to really be a player, like a main group. In campaign one, she because she was always out doing work. She was going to like New York. And yeah, stuff. so she was yeah. always working. Um, so she would play when she could, and then due to the popularity of Critical Role mm-hmm. and them basically owning critical role now instead of it being part of geek and sundry yeah yeah i think that allowed her to free up her schedule a little bit because when campaign two started she was full-time like she right, was right. there yeah yeah they probably were able to pay her and right i think it just like cool stuff. yeah i think things yeah. opened up and that's cool she was able to make it more of a priority yeah uh these are just guesses because uh, yeah. I love Ashley Johnson. Oh, she's great. She's so great. It's my association with Ashley Johnson. This is very weird. This I'm I'm about to date myself again, in terms of my age. I remember her as a young actress from What Women Want because she played Mel Gibson's daughter. Oh, really? And she's like the bitchy daughter. She's like, Dad, I hate you. Stop embarrassing me. And then suddenly she was on Critical Role. I'm like, this is weird. That's funny. I feel I feel odd about this. You're supposed to be in movies, not D and D. Well, and that's the Talson Jaffe. Yeah, he's also a child star as well. Oh, is he? Yeah, he grew up in the Hollywood, mm-hmm. and it was funny on one of the episodes of something. One, I think Sam goes, "Yeah, like in this movie," and he says the name of it. He goes, "Yeah, I love that movie. It's my favorite movie." And then Talison looks over and he goes, "I'm in that movie," and he goes, "No, you're not." And he goes, "Yes, I am. I'm." And then he says who he is. Uh-huh. And Sam's like, holy shit, you're in that movie. <laughs> and this little like fanboy moment happens with the cast for Talison. Uh-huh. And then Sam's like, can I get your autograph? And he goes, no. <laughs> that sounds like Talison. It was a funny little moment. There's a lot of those little seeing their table kind of run like the way they run it. Mm-hmm. It's fun to see these little like jokes that they have with each other because I see those same things at our table. You know, these mm-hmm. funny, stupid things we joke about. That are just dumb. Dumb, and they're they're also kind of like bring the group together too. Right, for sure. But uh, dice are awesome. D and D's awesome. And if you don't play D and D or some sort of game, get your life together. What are you doing? What are you even doing? Get all your shit. Put it in a backpack. Do something with it. Just get it together. For God's sake, realize that D and D is not a computer game. <laughs> there are D and D computer games. Yes. But it's not a computer game. It's not a video game. Yeah, it's not a video game. But uh, I'm going to leave our listeners with this. All right. With all the playing and all the stuff going on, a lot of times D&D, you're focused on yourself, your character, or you're the GM your game. And I think it's a really good thing to remember to ask yourself, how can I make D&D better? 
How can I make my table, like the game at my table, the best it can possibly be? Whether it's researching dice or using the lazy dungeon master, whatever you're going to do. I feel like that can absolutely bring the level of your game up and make your players want to play even more. Oh, for sure. There's a lot of complaints online, and I think a lot of it is kind of this semi-entitled antagonism where it's like you're expecting everybody else to kind of cater to you, whether you're a GM or a player, when really if you think about offering something to the table and trying to make the experience for everybody better, you might be surprised at the results. Yeah, for sure. But we love you. Love you. Love you, Ian. Love you, Eric. And, uh... Everybody have a fantastic day. Please. Stay sweaty. Use that fucking force damage. Like. Subscribe.